How can we leverage telemedicine to get through the coronavirus pandemic? This week on The Veterinary Viewfinder. Welcome back to The Veterinary Viewfinder, the podcast that tackles the toughest topic in veterinary medicine. And yes, Becky, once again, we are back to our favorite topic of the pandemic. No. <laughs> what? I don't want to talk about Corona anymore. I know you don't want to talk about it, but it's really the most pressing topic in the world right it's now. It's all so, there is to talk about. <laughs> it kind of is. And we're a little bit obsessed, like all of you out there. We're working, trying to adjust, trying to get through and survive. And this week, we wanted to talk about something that we have been talking about for the past four or five weeks. Uh, I've certainly written about it. I've done videos on it, blah, 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 telemedicine. And so we want to kind of give you some some of the insight, the best practices and learnings that we have gathered over this, you know, period of time. And also, you know, me going back to the AVMA committee on telemedicine back, you know, what's almost three years ago now. And so I want to share some of the best practices, maybe ways you can use it today. And we want to share with, with you what we're hearing. But before we get into all of that sharing, as always, I'm one of your co-hosts, Dr. Ernie Ward. And I'm registered veterinary technician, Becky Mosser. And Becky, we are hearing from our colleagues all across the country, really, that they are very busy, that they're trying to adapt and duct tape together new strategies and SOPs to make things work. And one of the things that is being duct taped across this country into a patchwork of legislation, regulations and adaptations is telemedicine. And I want to just first start by clarifying a couple of terms. And we spent an inordinate amount of time on this in the AVMA committee when we were drafting those guidelines to be published published a few years ago. But the, the three big things, Becky, I want to make sure our Viewfinder family knows are the three terms that I think are most pressing now. Number one, telehealth. Number two, teletriage. Number three, telemedicine. In general terms, and I'm not going to get into all the legalese that does surround and accompany these terms, telehealth is just sort of the overarching umbrella term of all of this. It is sort of doing remotely some type of medical advice. It could even be a diagnosis. It could be a prescription, but somehow you get on a phone, on a video chat, on a fax machine, you know, you do something remotely. That's telehealth. Teletriage is what we have been doing up until this point by and large. Teletriage are those services that your clients can call in the middle of the night. They speak to some veterinary professional and basically they can tell them one of two things. It's an emergency. Go to the emergency clinic right now or Sounds like it could wait to me. And the final term is telemedicine. And I think that's what most of us envision when we talk about this remote medical services. We envision, just like you see in human medicine, just like my family has been doing, like many millions of others, where you can make certain appointments with a physician. You come on a smartphone or on your laptop or a computer or whatever, and you have a video chat with your physician and they give you advice, sometimes a prescription. They tell you to come in. They do whatever. So Becky, those terms pretty clear? <laughs> yeah, I feel pretty clear on it. But it is kind of a, a network of confusing things for sure that we run into. And I think a lot of people have some confusion around it and especially the liability part. Right. And then now on top of all of that, they're trying to sort out with the FDA, you know, lifting uh, VCPR for humans and then leaving it up to the states. I think there's a big sticky mess for a lot of people. There is. And I'll tell you, the big sticky mess revolves around a very simple concept. And that is this. 
Can you establish a veterinarian client patient relationship, the VCPR, via a remote visit? So by video, by telephone, by fax machine. And by and large, that's not allowed in most states. During the pandemic, a couple of states have come forward and said, we're going to allow this temporarily. Of course, Colorado has been working on this type of initiative for the past couple of years. But by and large, Becky, you can't establish a VCPR unless you've seen that person in person. That sounded awkward, but I think you know what I meant. You have to actually put hands on that dog or cat or ferret or bird or whatever that you're trying to do telemedicine around. Now, that's really important because you don't have to do that for telehealth advice or teletriage recommendations, right? Because you're not actually acting as their veterinarian. So this is where I think some of the confusion between teletriage, telehealth, and telemedicine. So let's come back to the the current situation, Becky. Right now, many, many, most of the country uh, is under a stay-at-home order. That means you don't leave your home unless you have to engage in essential work. So you work in one of those essential jobs or, you know, industries or something like that. You're a medical professional. You know, you work uh, like your husband for Department of Defense, right? That kind of stuff. Um, You're supposed to stay at home. So what happens when your dog starts itching? What happens when your dog starts limping? Well, this is why most of us have started saying, hey, This is a great opportunity for you to begin to experiment with telemedicine for your existing clients. Becky, do you see when I was writing that first article five weeks ago, that was the intent was to say, hey, for all of your existing clients, not getting new clients, not establishing a VCPR, but for the Mrs. Smith, you've been seeing her dog for the past five years and it's itching now. This is a great opportunity. And we're starting to see, again, this patchwork of adaptations into the workplace. So, Becky, what what are you hearing as far as how are people implementing? We're going to focus on telemedicine, not the advice, not the triage, but the telemedicine aspect. What are you hearing out there? Well, I think a lot of people are trying to figure out how to implement it. And I've seen a lot of really creative things going on. So, so first of all, we're using this now just for our visits as it is. So clients out in the parking lot. And we've got the pet inside and we're talking to them through technology, right? Right. Then we're turning this over to say, can we use this as a way of uh, deciding if the pet needs to be seen or not seen, help the client feel better? A couple things that I've seen um, already and, you know, in true Becky technician fashion is one, a lack of utilization of the technicians in the practice. So I've seen so many posts about how the veterinarian is trying to do appointments and, do these telehealth appointments. And I'm like, this is a great place to leverage your technicians to have these conversations and to do this sort of triage of who do they need to talk to and when. Right. The other thing is I've seen happening is a lack of under ability. I don't know how to say this in a good way. I'm seeing people struggling with how to do in-person, quote unquote, parking lot, pet in-building, in-person appointments. And these tele-appointments. And so they're kind of like, oh, my gosh, now instead of like the two minutes I had in between appointments to maybe quickly do a chart, I'm trying to phone somebody back and look at their dog over video. So I've seen people trying to implement it and to try to utilize it to avoid physical contact and to maintain the social distancing. But I'm seeing people struggling with exactly how to fit that into their day to day and how to keep things rolling smoothly. I love that. And I will give a shameless plug for that original article that I wrote, you know, 
a month and a half or so ago called the Corona Catalyst for Telemedicine. It's on DrErnieWard.com. There's also a really good accompanying piece by the lawyer Mark Cushing. And so he actually talks about why this is so important that veterinary medicine become much more you know, forward thinking in the application of telemedicine because we're getting quickly left behind by human medicine. And one of the things that prompted me to write that article was there was there were rumors at the time that that the um, Medicare Medicaid system was going to pay for all telemedicine visits for Medicaid Medicare recipients in the U.S. during this time, which to me signaled, wow, millions of people are about to be exposed to this, right? Like my mom, who has never done anything like this telemedicine, has done this now during this time because she needed to check in with one of her physicians and that was what they proposed. And she was like, oh my gosh, Ernie, it was amazing. I got my phone out there and I showed them the spot and it's like, what? (laughs) This is cool, right? So they're being exposed to it. And on the other side of this, Becky, this is what I also want to talk to you about. The expectation is going to be raised. And I think that a lot of people are going to say, wait, why am I having to take my dog down to my vet whom I've been seeing for years for the the annual itching. Now, there are a lot of reasons why that should happen. I'm not here to say that this completely eliminates all of those visits. In fact, I think it's only going to be uh, as an adjunct and a boost for those in-person clinic visits. But I I do want to say that people are going to question, why is it not available? And Becky, what are vets saying? Like, you know, when, when, when people you've, you've encountered this before, how do vets or vet vet technicians respond when people say, why can't I do this by phone? Yeah. You know, it's it's kind of uh, like, blah, 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 you know, like there's no like real like it's just like a stuttery like, well, because I think there the demand is going to continue to be there. I have been utilizing telemedicine for myself for years now. Yeah. And so I am I'm a huge proponent of it in the veterinary industry just because I truly enjoy it for myself. You know, and I was just in an interview with Jessica Vogel saying on this on um, the the Clinician's Brief podcast, and we talked about how I feel like I am more likely to call, to, to, to be at home and pay someone to tell me I have to come in or not than to go into an office for a free consultation or a paid consultation and come out disgruntled because I didn't feel like I got a lot out of it, right? So, like, if I have to pack up my dog and go in the car and drive somewhere to talk to somebody, I do have, like, a higher expectation of what I'm going to get out of that than if I just pop on the computer real quick, point a camera and say, hey, what do you think? Can we just have a conversation about what you think are great next steps for this? I'm not asking for a diagnosis. I'm not asking for a treatment. I'm asking for an educated conversation around something I'm noticing with my pet. Oh, I love that. And, you know, so it's it's absolutely something that I feel like I would pay more with a lower expectation because of the convenience factor, if that makes any sense at all. No, it makes total sense. And really, you know, this is something that I've been talking about for years and what people want is access. And this is another way to access a veterinary professional. I love what Becky brought up already was that utilizing our support staff, our RVTs, CVTs, LVTs, whatever ETs you got out there, you know, that's, we really need to leverage you you guys. I mean, so I think there's huge opportunities on the other side of this. So this access element is really important. Now I, I want to, first of all, back up because I think that, that Becky, you brought up a really, really important point that I want to slightly rephrase. And that is that I think a lot of veterinary professionals, and now I'm going to actually speak to veterinarians like me, they have this sort of mis 
perception that clients are going to want to be seen for telemedicine for a dog with cancer, with congestive heart failure that's bleeding out of its eyeballs. I will say this. Sometimes they will call you initially to say, oh my gosh, is this an emergency? Yes, there's blood pouring out of your dog's eye. I need to see it. But they many times they're, they're not that dumb, <laughs> you know? So like, for example, with my uh, daughters during, during this pandemic, you know, obviously they can't go to, for their routine, you know, feminine checkup types of things. Um, they expect that, well, we'll be able to do this over the, the telephone. Having said that, my older daughter had a medical condition, uh, well, an illness, uh, infection before the pandemic. And she, even though her, her healthcare provides telemedicine, she didn't use that. She went straight to the urgent care, right? I mean, she was like, I've got an infection. I've got to get this taken care of. So I think we have to give credit to our clients. Now, in my article, I, I talk about there are some natural, I guess, scenarios or conditions that lend themselves toward telemedicine. And again, let's reframe this. This is an existing client. I've seen this dog, maybe even seen it for this exact condition or cat or whatever. And so some of the ones that really lend itself are going to be like dermatitis. So a dog that's itching again, uh, even I would extend that slightly to ears, although I would kind of be careful with ear infections because yeast versus bacteria, we all know that versus both. Um, but osteoarthritis, so limping, right? Behavior issues, some common minimal GI upsets, like all of those lend themselves, in my opinion, and certainly what we've seen on the human side towards telemedicine. Becky, what are some of the opportunities that that vets just aren't opening their eyes to for telemedicine? Yeah, I, I think you're absolutely right. Because I, I think we have to think about the things where if you walk out of the room thinking, God, that was kind of a waste of my time. And, and I and I don't mean that in a negative no, way. Like I hope we never brilliant. walk out of an exam room and think we wasted our time because we know that we provided the client with what they needed. But I know there have been times we thought, boy, that could have been done easier. Like that didn't have to take that part of my day. Well, Becky, wait, wait, let me just back up. How many times do you think that happens to our clients? A million, right? A hundred Way more than happens to us, right? Because they have a kid and a dog and right. a husband and groceries, right? Like they have a whole list of things they're doing in a day that they think to themselves, well, I picked up my groceries. I shop for my groceries online and I picked them up online. My kid's going to school online right now. You know, we're working online. Like the, why is going to the vet the only thing that I can't just get a hold of somebody? And then I'm shamed. Oh my God, you know, you and I have this conversation all the time. If heaven forbid I go to Google and try to get some kind of answer right. and then I'm laughed at and scoffed and said, oh, Dr. Google, blah, 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 which, you know, I'm so tired of. So, um, you know, the fact of the matter is, is we are not meeting the client's demands for this. We are put, working harder, not smarter because of this. And, you know, my argument to so many <laughs> veterinarians and I, you know, I don't I don't mean to be condescending, but it's like, what do you think you're doing when they call and they say X, Y and Z? And then you stop your whole day because your technician has to answer the, the line because your receptionist isn't totally sure. And then she pokes her head in the exam room where she waits around outside the door until you get done so she can ask you what you think. And then you say, well, it probably needs to come in because I can't see it. And right. then you go back to the phone and you, you know, and I spent 15 minutes trying to handle this perfect stranger's problem. Um, that is... <laughs> medicine. Right. And if you think you're doing anything different when you do it over the phone as opposed to video, you are 
kidding yourself. Yeah. And so even to your point backing up about this VCPR situation, there's no reason to say you can't do teletriage with a client that you've never seen before. Absolutely. Absolutely. And you can absolutely say we're, you know, we are sorry your clinic is closed. Let's take a look and see here. Okay, based on what you're telling me, I, I my differentials would be X, Y, and Z. And these are the things I would be worried about since I've never seen you before. You've got to come in and I can help with X, Y, and Z. And this is how I could do it. Like, there is nothing wrong. There's nothing illegal. There's nothing bad about that. And you may just have gotten a client for life because they didn't have to pack up, right. bring their pet to go in to find out, oh, that was actually a hot spot. And I probably could have clipped and cleaned it from home because my golden gets them seven times a year in the spring, right? Like, Anyway, so I think we have to really be honest with ourselves about what we're actually doing anyway, how we do it, and then what really just leveling that up looks like. And the benefit, always the benefits of doing it and then the repercussions of not. Like, right. what are we doing to ourselves by not going ahead and folding this into our practice? Yep. We are encouraging someone else to take it from us, which is exactly what's been happening for the past decade. Other outside entities that are not largely controlled by veterinarians, these are investment. Folks, you know, people that yep. see an opportunity, they're the ones that have been doing this. Yep. Now, I want to go back to this because, again, think about all of the follow-up cases that could be administered more efficiently, effectively, perhaps, uh, by telemedicine. So you've got this chronic, you know, limping, chronic scratching, chronic behavior. I mean, you can have the person shoot a video of the limping because we all know that dogs miraculously stop limping due to the you know, catecholamines, endorphins, and, you know, every other hormone they can secrete, right? So, I mean... So there are ways I think you can do things better. I think the biggest pushback, Becky, and, and I address this directly in that article, is the cost element. I think that vets see this as a way for a client to try to get something for free or for cheap. And I don't know that that's necessarily the case. What I do think they want is access and convenience. And just like you said, sort of this feeling that somehow you're listening to me and, oh my gosh, you know, I need to, to come in. I will say one thing. We don't have great data yet in veterinary medicine because this hasn't been largely available. But if you look at some of the studies that have been done in human medicine, diagnostics go up because what happens is they have these telemedicine visits and they say, oh my gosh, you know, your child, I do think we need to do a culture of its ear. And then the mom goes into the office, does the ear, you know, culture sensitivity, and then they do whatever is appropriate next. So I think that there are other opportunities on for other additional diagnostics after a telemedicine, you know, but again, Becky, I love what you're saying. Why can I buy a car on my phone and I can't get my dog's heartworm medicine refilled. <laughs> <laughs> you know, seriously. And again, it, it just, this is the thing. Like we get so, <sighs> people, you know, criticize us. They're like, well, it feels like you're just trying to get something from me. If this right. feels bad. Why can't it be X, Y, or Z? And I honestly think it, it, it's unfortunate because, it, you know, and poor Peter Weinstein, like I told you before we record, I put his feet to the fire on this about the VMAs because I said, it doesn't feel fair that this is not coming from our leadership to help us understand exactly how to deal with this, exactly how to work it in. Like, to me, it seems like our leadership needs to be the one coming down and saying, here's what's allowed, here's what's not allowed. But instead, it's been left up to the individual states. Oh, yeah. And that's where we are today. Today, it's like, you know, you're probably okay, especially during this pandemic, because there's some special rules and regs that are being administered by state medical and veterinary medical boards. But uh, the truth is, where you practice, where you reside, where you're licensed, that determines what you can do. By and large, though, 
on the other side of this, Becky, you've never been able to convince me otherwise to up until this point and certainly moving forward, unless the laws change dramatically. If you already have an existing VCPR with that client, there is nothing to prevent you from doing what you feel comfortable with. And this is the other part that I really address in that article. It's like, also remember you, the veterinarian, you know, when you are doing this telemedicine call, this consult, you get to make the decision of whether or not you feel comfortable moving forward. Oh, I feel comfortable prescribing this, you know, antipuretic for this, you know, allergic dermatitis. Okay, so I feel I can do that. Or wait a second, I think I need to do a skin scraping because this has all the clinical hallmarks of, you know, of, of something that could be zoonotic, for example. So, you know, those are the, again, you still control it. It's not like when you engage in telemedicine that you are now committed to giving a prescription or giving a diagnosis. You're just simply committing to saying, hey, I'll take a look. That's exactly right. And I think we we do a couple things here because one, when we have the ability, for some people, this is just, where's that? Like, I can email my doctor, right? Like, mm-hmm. I can email my doctor. And I imagine that gets really cumbersome. I know that it's usually his nurse, right? right. Um, but I know that I can reach out and just like, hey, doc, I'm a little bit worried about X, Y, or Z, or I'm wondering about X, Y, or Z. And he'll either say like, hey, let's, let's jump on a call. Hey, come on in, whatever it is. So, you know, I do have accessibility to my healthcare team in that way. And I do have an expectation that I can reach my pet's healthcare team in that way as well. So um, I know that we have to work on work-life balance. And I think this is where delegation comes in more than a resistance to actually providing these services. Um, And then the idea that we can probably, we've talked about this a million times, Increase our trust. When we increase when we increase our trust, we increase our compliance. When we increase our compliance, we have better patient outcomes. So this availability, this convenience, this uh, modern way, like if I if my doctor is doing things that are modern, I assume that my doctor's techniques and education is modern and up to date as well. So you kind of have to look at this as a total package of how we're coming off to our clients, what we're offering them, and patient outcomes. I know if I spend five or 10 minutes on the phone with a client just making sure something is okay and ruling out an emergency, I'm probably going to have a better outcome than if I didn't. Right. And and again, you know, I have been very, very adamant about this. I do not like the sort of concept or, or the belief that somehow all this teletriage is just, as I used to call it, the updated modern pager, right? I mean, to me, that is a very shallow uh, transaction. It's just, you know, again, I, I want to go beyond just saying uh, it's an emergency, go see someone now, or it can wait till the, tomorrow. You know, like, I really think that we need to rein this back into our own clinics whenever possible and and actually give them something that, that, that again, has some health impact. Now, the other pushback, Becky, that I've gotten for years on this is like, okay, so now you're saying you're going to be open 24-7. And Becky, that's just not the case at all. I mean, you set the boundaries, you set the guidelines. I mean, help me out here. Yeah, not even kind of. My my doctor doesn't answer my emails at 2 a.m. You know, right. my doctor answers them in between appointments. And like I said, probably his nurses. Um, that being said, you know, we like we've talked with John with Guardian Vets before. Mm-hmm. There are services that will provide after hour triage. So it's not a pager. So you can get rest, but you are providing uh, 24 hours of reliable conversation for your clients. So um, you've got the choice here, you know, and if, if you're resistant and you're making excuses and, you, and, and you're just uncomfortable, then fine. You know, that that is what it is. Let's just be honest. But there are so many ways of providing services like this without being 
on call 24-7 without ruining your work-life balance. In fact, increasing your work-life balance because of this. Um, it's just truly how, what lens you you decide to look through. And then again, I think too, um, you know, I just want to kind of talk a little bit too about the point that like right now we're wearing our staff out. Right. <laughs> you know what I mean? Good point. They're, they're tired. I've heard more technicians talk about the fact that they don't know makes and models of cars. <laughs> That's the hardest <laughs> thing about Corona right now. Um <laughs> You know, understand, too, that your whole team is going through whatever you're going through for the most part. So if you're thinking about appointment that could have been um, probably not an appointment, your staff is thinking that, too. Your CSRs have to check them in and out. Your your technicians are weighing them. Your technicians are getting histories. This is taking time and energy, pulling from the cup of the entire team. Yeah. So when we're doing something like this, is convenient, fast, and easy. And again, it increases the patient compliance, you know, owner compliance and, and, and patient outcomes. It seems so much like a no-brainer to me. Um, and now we have an opportunity where we're kind of being pushed into it. And so there's no better time to embrace and figure out the best ways to do it. Absolutely. This is the time to experiment. And I do, I, I want to say right now, I'll tell you that your clients are a lot more forgiving. Like if you're trying to figure out how to use FaceTime to do this, you know, or if you want to go and invest in a service that that offers this type of platform, they're, they're more forgiving, right? I mean, my mom, actually, they did it because she has an iPhone, um, an older model, but still it works just fine. And uh, she did it via FaceTime with her physician. So that was, they said, hey, no problem. And interestingly, Medicare, Medicaid said that they would pay for FaceTime, Zoom, whatever. They told the doctors, we don't care what platform, just get these patients, you know, in their homes. Don't bring them into your office. The last yeah. thing I want to talk about is cost. And I know we've touched on this a couple of times about where a lot of vets have this belief that it's just trying to cheap out, you know, or get something for free. And I addressed this in that article, Becky. And, you know, I, I made the advice, and this has been my advice now for the past 10 years, is to charge a similar rate for your telemedicine exams as you do for your in-person exams. And the reason that I say that is because that if you can completely satisfy, close the loop, so to speak during that appointment. So you, you do telemedicine existing client with an existing VCPR that's valid in your state. Okay. And you then make a diagnosis, you make a prescription, you know, a treatment, right. And you do follow-up care. I'm saying really, should that be cheaper? We just accomplish the same thing. So again, I'm not here to tell you how you should price it, but I would not give it away. I would not make it substantially cheaper because again, if this thing rolls into a regular exam, you want to make sure that we sort of, I guess I'm trying to make the virtual world and the real world and real life worlds sort of be as equal as possible. I know that there are limitations to doing something remotely via phone, tele smartphone, whatever, you know, video. I know that there are limitations. I get it. But from a client perspective, it is an outcome driven. They are paying for a problem to be solved. If I can solve that within the context of a telemedicine visit, then I think it has the same value as an in-person visit. So Becky, you kind of, I mean, again, I want us to be careful with the pricing. If we give this away, I think that that's not going to be necessarily healthy for our practice revenue. Yeah, I definitely don't think we should be giving it away. I don't know uh, if I agree it should cost what a visit costs, right? But then I'm thinking back to me using telehealth and my visits are $25 copays, right? Right. But if I go to telehealth, I pay like 45 yep. if it doesn't take my insurance. And so I actually pay almost twice um, what it would cost for me to get in my car and go to the doctor. And I'm happy to right. pay it because I don't have to go to the doctor. Now, um, a lot of that has to do with the fact that I don't want the flu because right. I have a, you know, right. 
headache or sinus infection or something, right? Um, and I don't need that to turn into the flu. But yeah, like I, if I'm being really honest, I've paid twice as much as my copays to utilize telehealth. Um, that being said, you know, and I've been very honest about this. I go to therapy online and I pay yep. my regular $25 copay to do that. And so it is the exact same as if I was being seen in the office. So I think that that's a fair comparison. Um, I also said on our last episode that we talked about this a little bit, you know, the other day I needed some legal advice for a business and I talked to a lawyer and I paid per minute. Yeah. I also realized I'm in the wrong profession because um, <laughs> what, what I make per minute is not what he makes per minute. But, you know, he literally charges per minute. So it was like $2.50 per minute. I was on a 10-minute phone call with him. It would cost me $27 or whatever um, to talk to this this lawyer for 10 minutes. And $27 is very affordable. So I actually think there's a lot of ways you can price this out, whether you do it by like, oh, it's a 10, a 15, a 20, a 30-minute telehealth appointment. We charge right. in, in a chunk like that. Um, whether it's a set price. Um, I, and, and then again, I think being really honest and not thinking what would my clientele pay, but almost just kind of like, what is this worth to me? What is my time worth when you have numbers to back it up? Like, this is what I get paid per hour. This is how long it's going to take me. This is what it's going to cost. You know, you really have to be able to justify it and being able to justify it and make it worth your time is part of what's going to keep you from resenting it, being overwhelmed by it, um, thinking it's not helpful. Like there has to be an ROI. And I'm telling you right now, number one, your clients who are going to give you a hard time or push back about this, again, we need to kind of question the the clients we want, right? The kind of clients we want to cater to, yep. right? Yep. They're going to give you that pushback anyway. They're going to do it in real life or on telemedicine, right? Yeah. And, and I don't mean that meanly. Like, I just no. think we have a tendency to want to cater and please and, and serve all people, whereas maybe we need to be thinking about what kind of clients do I want to attract? And um, number two, I really think that you will be finding your clients will appreciate this and be more than happy to pay it for the things that they just don't want to load their dog up in the car and find out about. Right. I just think there are so many opportunities. I mean, behavior is one I've been talking about for years. All these follow-up visits, you know, whether it's an OA follow-up, a derm follow-up, you know, a, a post-op spay, neuter follow-up. I mean, and again, I think there are ways to capture that income. I do address that in that article, The Coronavirus Catalyst for Telemedicine, if you want to check that out as well over on my website. But Becky, again, I think that this is just one of those areas where um, we need, as you always say, we need to be leading on this. You know, we need to be the people that are pushing it. And so, you know, again, viewfinders, we want to know what you have to think about this. Are you using telemedicine? If so, where are your wins and where are your, your losses? Where do you think we can make it better? And more importantly, what do you think is going to stick on the other side of this pandemic? What, you know, services, what demands from our, our pet parents? Are they going to say, hey, you know how you did that before from the curbside? I like that better. I like waiting in my car. Right. I don't know. I hope not. But, you know, what are you hearing out there in the real world? Share with us on social media. Hi, we really want to talk about the topics that you want to hear about. And we think right now, sadly, it has to do with coronavirus. Sorry, Becky. Sorry send again. us a topic other than coronavirus. <laughs> send us something you want to hear that doesn't have coronavirus. Please save me because we can't think of anything else. And I don't want to talk about Corona anymore. So, um, <laughs> More than anything, just send us an update. How are you doing? How's your practice doing? Um, we're just sending you some love. We're sending you some laughter. Um, send it back. Show us your team. Play veterinary viewfinder in the back while you guys are getting through your day. And just have us there with you because we are there with you trying to get through these times. That's right. Guys, until next time, stay safe and give your pets a hug from me. Bye. Bye. I think we did it.
I didn't hate it. 